Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adults Fiction Podcast. And this week we started a new series by Elizabeth Lim. It's a duology and we read halfway through the first book which was called Spin the Dawn. Yep, up to chapter 19. Yeah. So we've just started part two and um, I am not gonna lie, I thought that part one was going to be longer. Like, I didn't think it was gonna be part of the book. I thought the whole first book was gonna be these trials with the other tailors once that started. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, half of them are gone. Oh, another four left. Oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I know, and I was, like, kind of really looking forward to seeing more of the challenges, but that's okay. We still got a taste of it. Yeah, I, th- I feel like it gave a good taste. We saw some interesting things, but I am excited about her new challenge. So even though it isn't a competition, like there's still this kind of element of like she has to do the impossible. And it involves pretty clothes. Yeah. Still. But we're totally jumping <laughs> uh, ahead. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, okay. Who are our main characters? So we really start with the perspective and, and whatnot of Maya, who is the tailor's daughter and youngest child so she has three older brothers who've all for various reasons gone off to war two of them ended up being killed and one was crippled in the process and her mom passed away before all of this and her dad is like kind of depressed and so she's been not so secretly but kind of secretly running the whole tailor business herself because in this world women aren't tailors like that's not a womanly task. It's just simply not done. Yes. <laughs> they get married and yeah. Which I, I also think is kind of interesting. I mean, I, I guess I don't know enough about tailors in general historically, but I do think of like creating clothes and like sewing and those things as somewhat traditional womanly tasks. Mm-hmm. So it is a little bit interesting from this other perspective where it's like, oh, you're a woman. You do not know how to sew or you can't possibly be the best sewer. Yeah, I think part of it is because I was thinking about that, too. And then I was thinking, like, I think so much of it is the fact that, like, women are allowed to be good at certain things to a point where, yep. like, yeah, you can do your knit work in the corner and, you know, sew a, a hem or whatever, or, or you can cook, you know, you can you can cook for your family. But then once you try to elevate it to like the level of a master, that's when yeah. they get shot down. Yeah. And almost like not practical or not practical beyond your family. Like it's women aren't supposed to be like making money, right? Like Right. Or like earning a living or having yeah. any ambitions or doing anything except getting married. Pretty bleak. <laughs> but yeah, she again has developed these skills anyways. And so this was uh, not really based off Mulan, but Elizabeth Lim mentioned she had some inspiration from like the, the legend of Mulan. And there is this element near the beginning that reminds me of it where her father is basically summoned by the emperor, not for war, but to be a master <laughs> tailor. And he's like in no shape to go and go on this journey. So she disguises herself as his son and takes his place. The one difference is that uh, her brother 
Keaton mm-hmm. knows that she is going to do this. So he kind of helps her a little bit briefly to try and present herself as a boy after so many years of kind of assuming a, a very submissive place. And yeah. I really liked that one of her brothers knows she's doing it and is willing to help her. And mm-hmm. I he said something to her before she left where he said, focus on the fact that you sew better than anyone in the world, not on whether you're a boy or a girl. And I really yeah. liked that because he was like, you know, you can do this. You're confident your gender shouldn't matter. And just focus on that and you'll get through it. And he was definitely more helpful, but she also, her dad saw her leave and like kind of gave his blessing or at least didn't stop her. He passed off the grandmother's scissors, which we find out are magic scissors. And so it is kind of a nice element of her family knows and kind of gets it. Yeah. And like she has their blessing. And also I think it's, it's true that, you know, people will see what they want to see. So if she acts like she's a master tailor, people are going to assume that she's a boy. No one would think that she's a girl in disguise especially yeah it's not like something all the girls are trying to sneak in to be master tailors right right? so why would you assume that someone is a girl if you're told that they're a boy exactly you know like why would you even question that and technically she's not even breaking any rules because when the um the emperor's eunuch i think arrived and he just says the emperor wishes the master tailor of the tamarin family to come to court and she's the master tailor you know her father's really not working anymore so She's not even technically breaking any rules. Yeah. She's definitely doing what they're asking, but yeah. I do feel like... Well, I mean, there's this degree of if she's caught, she's going to be killed. Ugh. And possibly her family, too. Yeah. So she has to keep the secret while also competing. She's already, like, the youngest. She's trying to disguise her identity. She's, like, never left town before, even though she's supposedly a soldier who, like, traveled around. So it is kind of... It's still really risky, but I feel like that was all set up. So then we, like... She gets in the wagon or whatever, and we arrive at the Emperor's Spring Palace? Summer Palace? The Summer Palace. <laughs> One of the seasons. I just love that idea of, this is where we spend the winter, or like, this season is spent at the hunting cabin, or whatever. Well, the thing that we learn when, she, when Maya gets to the Summer Palace, though, is that she's not just immediately going to be the Emperor's master tailor. She's actually True. in competition with 11 other rivals. Yeah, that's true. I forgot she didn't know that when she left. She thought she was just being summoned to be the Emperor's tailor. And she's like, uh, yeah, we can't not show up. And I love whenever she first meets them and they're all, like, they're all tailors. So they're all impeccably dressed. And she arrives in, like, (laughs) clothes that don't fit her because they're her brothers. And she's like, uh, hi, hi, y'all. So true. It reminds me of that joke or whatever. Have you ever heard, like, if there's two barbers in town, one has a really good haircut and one has a really bad haircut, who should you go to? The one with the really bad haircut. Right. Because he's the one giving the good haircuts. But I was like getting confused. I was like thinking about this logic. I was like, I guess it's different with clothes because you Ah. can do your own clothes. (laughs) Um, So now this is when it really turns into Project Runway. And I love this part because the sewers, the tailors are all given different tasks and their task is to create a wardrobe for Lady Sarnai, who is going to marry the Emperor. Mm-hmm. But there's a problem with Lady Sarnai. Just one? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There's some public disapproval of Lady Sarnai. So she is the daughter of basically the Emperor's <laughs> rival from for this whole war that all of her brothers went off and fought in. And... 
this is the other like interesting element that I sort of love and hope gets fleshed out more is it's revealed to Maya from Lady Sarnai that her dad had promised her she wouldn't have to marry. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just like more similar than they both realize right now in terms of like being a woman and being put in this position in the society where they have less say over their future than they would like. Um, and I hope that at some point they become maybe not friends, but like, I don't know, a little bit more understanding or respect between the two of them around that idea. I agree. Cause our first glimpse of Lady Sarnai is actually not like, it actually kind of surprised me. And I was like, Ooh, I feel like Maya could like this woman because she's, Mm -hmm. she wears pants sometimes. She doesn't like to be told to change her style. She has her own mind. Um, She really strikes me as like a pretty independent woman, which I like, but she's also super nasty. And she like knows the art of Warcraft, right? Like that's why her dad was like a general or whatever the, whatever his role is. I don't fully understand its title, but he was like Mm -hmm. leading the army before he turned on the emperor and she like grew up knowing how to fight and use weapons and but the, yeah. the reason people don't like her though is because she's the daughter of basically the traitor of the entire yeah. empire and she also is it's really picky to say the least she's, she's just she's very nasty <laughs> and she's yeah. not easily satisfied but i think a lot of that bitterness comes from like what you said where she was promised yeah. by her dad she wouldn't have to marry against her will and we learned that she is in love with another warrior, uh, Zena, who is uh, her father's favorite warrior. Yep. And it's it was said that they were once engaged and that he was her lover. And so the fact that now she has to marry the emperor to kind of like solve the rift between the kingdoms is really upsetting her. And rightly so. And I, I, I feel like that would bother anyone anyways, but in some families with this tradition, if you're... A daughter of a political leader like you're you'll be mm-hmm. married off for political reasons and some women like grow up knowing that and expecting it but I think it's especially hard for her like we've said because she was told like her dad for so long yeah. was like no you can do your own thing like I'm not gonna force you she's she was in love and engaged to this guy like she probably like completely saw her life going a different path and now yeah I do feel bad for her and I hope we get to know her a little better because she is really nasty too like I don't like her yet but I'm intrigued by her yeah and I'm wondering how she would behave if she knew Maya was female you know because like throughout this whole book she believes that Maya is just another man who's like competing to make her wardrobe and she just is probably just over it although there is a brief time where she knows that she's female that's later we'll get to that in a second Um, okay, so they have a bunch of trials, and... Yeah, what was the first one? Was the first one the shawl? The first one was the shawl. They have to make a shawl for Lady Sarnai. And that's where Maya realizes her scissors are enchanted, right? Yeah, because during the first trial, one of the other rivals spills tea on her silk, and yep. she is, like, running out of time to create her shawl, which is, like... I'm going to bring up Project Runway all the time because there's just so many parallels where, like, she's, like, down to the last minute and she has to make something work. She has to make it work. And so she picks up the scissors and they embroider and fix the silk all on their own. Yeah, they make something, like, even more, like, in line with her vision, but something she would not have been able to accomplish, especially in that time frame. 
on her own. Mm-hmm. I was kind of disappointed though because I thought like since Maya got that glimpse of Lady Sarnai like when she was wearing breeches and like showed mm-hmm. that she had a different style I thought Maya was going to kind of play into that and like create something totally different from all the other people that Lady Sarnai would love um, but that didn't happen. <laughs> no I, I sort of agree especially when uh, there was something where she she like saw herself in the silk and when she was trying to draw Lady Sarn or I don't know I yeah I sort of yeah. expected her to like have this understanding of her as a fellow female in a similar ish position that the men male tailors wouldn't have that would mm-hmm. help her stand out I agree that was kind of a missed opportunity I think and then the second challenge is to make and embroider a pair of slippers oh yeah this one was kind of cool. This was so funny because this was one of, like, the Project Runway challenges where they initially give you the challenge and then they add an additional challenge, like, halfway through. So, like, they all think that all they have to do is, like, dye their own threads and then all of a sudden Lady Sarnai enters and she's like, well, actually, you have to make the slippers out of one of these strange materials. (laughs) And there's, like, rocks and glass and all kinds of... Paper paper and, leather, yeah. And it's like they all all do like a mad dash for the material table. And poor Maya, she's left with glass and she has no idea what to do. But she actually has a pretty cool solution for it. Yeah, they're like basically glass mosaic sparkly shoes at the end. I don't don't know exactly how to describe it, but that would be the thing that she's made so far that I would most want myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounded really cool when she made that. And she didn't use the scissors to cheat. And that's why I was nope. I was really upset because I thought she was going to constantly rely on the scissors to like make something exquisite and I was really glad she like held back and was like no I I want to do this honestly. I have mixed feelings about it. So I respect I guess I wish the scissors worked differently. Like I didn't like that when she started using the scissors she basically couldn't stop herself and it like did everything. I almost wish the scissors somehow just like elevated what she was already do or I don't know like somehow they worked with her more so it didn't feel like I do get why she feels that way it's either like it's me or it's the scissors Mm -hmm. I wish there was some way that it could be her and the scissors yeah I still think any way that the scissors were whether it was like a little bit magical or a lot magical I it still feels like cheating to me and I like I wanted her to prove her worth based on who she was fairly not because she had magical scissors to help her And I do like that she's having these creative ideas and stuff. I agree. I just am also Mm -hmm. really curious about how the scissors work because she's so skeptical of magic. Magic seems to be just like this really big thing in this world, but we still don't, I don't understand the rules well enough yet. And on top of it all, we have um, a man who is the the emperor's enchanter. His name is Eden. And he knows that Maya is a girl. He just kind of like figured that out somehow on his own. And he also knows that the scissors are magic, and he wants to help Maya so that she'll win. Yeah, he's taking a special interest in her. And I don't understand him at all, because (laughs) he's an enchanter. He follows Lady Sarnai around everywhere, but we know that Lady Sarnai despises magic. So what's going on there? So this is what I don't fully understand either. It seems like someone like him with the ability to control magic to the extent that it seems like he can as an enchanter should be the most powerful person in this world Mm -hmm. for some reason he is like a servant to the emperor which i sort of get if i felt like he really loved the emperor and was super loyal to him but i don't 
get that impression. So I'm kind of curious why he has to listen to the Emperor. And then there keeps being talk about how the Emperor, like whenever anyone sees him, especially the women, I think, but like anyone, and we've only seen it, I guess, from Maya's perspective, truly, but like, he's so handsome. He's so amazing. Like he's so mesmerizing, blah, blah, blah. And then we also heard the story that growing up, he was so sickly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think the impression is that even though Maya hasn't figured this out, the Enchanter is somehow like making him look and act differently or like helping him put his best foot forward or whatever. He's doing something behind the scenes. But what I don't understand is why he's doing this for the Emperor. I don't know either. But there, yeah, I think you're totally right. He is doing something to the Emperor behind the scenes because he hints at the fact that like he can't leave the Emperor or like if he did leave the Emperor, something bad would happen. And that's where I'm like, aren't you the most powerful enchanter guy? Like, even if the Emperor didn't want you to leave, couldn't you just be like disappear in a cloud of smoke or something? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> has some kind of hold over this enchanter. So I'm curious, like, maybe it's like a family member. Is there some other leverage he has that he's like... It must be. But in the meantime, they have another challenge where they have to make a jacket that embodies the spice road and they're all given a stipend and sent to the mood equivalent to buy materials okay how much project runway do you watch a lot i have like seen an episode or two here and there but i have never really watched but i love all these analogies (laughs) well it's so like i just i think i just was so in tune with them or i was just looking for them because it reminds me of it so much Mm -hmm. but when they were given a stipend and like sent into town to buy stuff i was like oh they're going to mood like (laughs) (laughs) i love it and just the fact that like the materials are different like oh you have to make a paper jacket and if you win you get to design lady sarnai's wedding gown like I don't know. It was so... I love that part. So wait, what about the part where at the last minute they had to try on the shoes themselves and walk like five feet? Is that something that would happen in Project Runway? Like a twist like that right at the end? Um, I'm tr- well, there, the one that I thought of too was when Lady Sarnai barges into the room with a dead falcon and then says that they have to incorporate the feathers into a sash for the Emperor in addition oh, to yeah, the jacket. That. that was totally right out of Project Runway. Like... Oh, you also have to make a second look. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Um, The one thing you don't see a lot in Project Runway is you don't see a lot of sabotage, unlike this book. Because there is a scene where Norbu, one of the competitors, starts a fire in the workshop and Maya like runs in to try and save all the other tailor's jackets. And then he attacks her viciously i mean like not just yeah i mean first he walked her into the in the burning room i think knowingly and then she got out and was like hey help me out and she's like on the ground and what did he hit her with again i forget he smashed her hand with an iron with an iron yeah it was like not just like stepping on her hand and again they are craftsmen she needs those hands yeah (laughs) who use their hands oh that was that was insane Mm -hmm. but because of that maya uh has to ask for Eden's help to heal her hand and he in the process tells her that Norbu is actually using magic to try and win the competition so like her magic scissors he has a paint that he uses to create illusions but they'll fade over time 
And that's why he's like almost never actually there working. Like we, we noticed that a few, t- or at least I noticed that while I was reading that he was always like gone or his stuff wasn't mm-hmm. at his table, but he was kept winning these competitions or doing really well in these competitions. And then he o- always wants his creations destroyed right after because like he knows they're going to fade. Mm-hmm. And this man is also really bad news because he was, was he a student? I, my, my notes are all over the place. Right now, this sentence says, Norbu was the last mango seen with Master Huan. <laughs> so that's great. Master Huan was... Yeah, so basically, yeah, the old tailor for the emperor and Norbu were hanging out one night, and the tailor who didn't have a history of, like, drinking or any other problems drowned. Like, he fell off a bridge and drowned and was supposedly intoxicated, and, like, it's a little bit suspicious because Norbu was the last one there and obviously benefits from his death. So Norbu definitely killed him. Oh, yeah, 100%. But no one can prove it. So he's feeling really confident. Oh, and we forgot, at some point, Lady Star and I also invites Maya and Norbu separately to her quarters and, like, kind of questions them. Mm -hmm. Um, But with Maya, she's, like, talking about how she's gotten close to Eden and if she would only, like, share some information and help out Lady Star and I, then, like, she'd guarantee that she wins the tournament, basically. And... Maya feels way too guilty about this and tells him, like, literally the next time she talks to him. She doesn't even... She's the worst spy ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we are under the impression that Norbu was given the same request and more willingly accepted the role of spy. (laughs) Right, right, right. So after the fire, like, everyone dropped out except for those two, Maya and Norbu. And then was there one more trial? Or was that... Oh, yeah, because... What were the other people that dropped out? Yindi and and Long Guy, who were actually like really nice to her, and Long Guy like wanted to take her on as his apprentice. And he was the one actually who warned or who told her about the rumors, right? Because he was like, yeah. "It's not worth it. Like this guy plays dirty. Basically, yeah. I'm getting out. You should too. Come work for me. You'll have a good life, and I can make you better." And it was a really good offer, actually. Totally. But Maya doesn't want to let Norbu win. No, and I respect that. So the last challenge is no rules, just create something that suits Lady Sarnai. Oh, yeah. So that's where they're asked to be spies. It was for this last challenge, I think. Um, yeah. Because it was just the two of them left. Yep. And this is the thing that I didn't like because Eden was like, you got to use the scissors because Norbu is going to use his paint. And so she's like, oh, okay, fine. I'll use the scissors. Like she just, yep. I don't know. She like gave in really easily after like staunchly claiming she wanted to do her work honestly but also remember she had just had her hands stepped up or beaten oh. with an iron after smoke inhalation and <laughs> climbing through a window or whatever she had to do and on top of that lady star Knight picks norbu's dress over maya's even though maya's is clearly better but it's because i think norbu agreed to her terms so of course she wants yep. to keep him close oh wait and before the the final version Norbu also reveals that he knows she's a girl, right? Oh, right, right, right. And, like, he's like, I won't tell, but as long as you leave. Like, basically, he threatened her, too. He blackmails her. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And then Maya's like, I don't care. So she (laughs) destroys Norbu's dress and, like, pours tea all over it to prove it's an illusion. Yeah, so the magic fades. Yep. But then Sarnai still picks him anyway. And then Norbu, in retaliation, reveals that Maya is a girl to everyone. Yeah, so she's set to be executed. Right, right, right. Okay, I have a question, though. (laughs) I don't remember. Never mind. I lost my question. Well, and this is where you said that, well, I said, I wonder how uh, Lady Sarnai would react if she knew that Maya was a girl, and 
she really doesn't have any sympathy. She orders her beaten and hanged, which was disappointing to me. But I feel like if she had time to know Maya and get to, and you know, become close with her, I think that they would appreciate each other. And I do think there's a difference between being lied to and like trusting someone. Like I think it possibly could have been different if Maya was like, hey lady, I trust you. I wanted to let you in on my secret versus right. like... Deception. Yeah. You used magic illegally. You're a girl and you've been lying about it. And like, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I did. I was hoping for at least maybe not like you should be executed. <laughs> yeah, something a little milder than that. But then luckily the emperor does spare Maya because she has magic and he has use of it. Yep. So yeah, this emperor is just sketchy. Like I have so many questions. There's also when um, she was asked to be a spy and was in Lady Sarnai's room before the last couple competitions. Lady Sarnai said something basically about how her father, the Shenzhen guy who turned on the emperor, especially didn't trust this emperor. Like, so he's the younger son. So his father and his brother both died. I don't know if they were mysterious circumstances or not, but they sort of never thought that the younger son would be emperor. Somehow he rose to power and the Shenzhen is especially, like he didn't have a problem with the whole royal family. He has a problem with this guy. So I feel like, and again, they have like a weird draw to magic and the enchanter and the emperor's relationship is kind of weird so i feel like there's just more to that Mm -hmm. story of how he rose to power and how the magic plays into it and all of that so it does make sense that he's like intrigued by her ability to do magic and now i just i feel a little bit bad for maya because really all she wanted to do was like be a tailor and save her family and now the emperor hires her but he says you have to do whatever Lady Star and I asks, or I'll kill you and your entire family because I need this marriage and I need to keep Lady Star and I happy. So now she's kind of a pawn. Okay, but also, so if Eden could make everyone forget that she was a girl, why didn't he just like make Norbu forget it the first time around and avoid this whole problem? Did he know that Norbu knew though? Maybe not. Or why didn't he, like in the moment where they called her out, why couldn't he just like work some I don't know it felt like almost like once I found out that he could like trick the whole court into forgetting this like huge thing I was like well if you're that powerful why didn't you just use a little bit less magic and think on your feet mister (laughs) yeah so I mean so he does enchant everyone to forget that Maya is a girl I think he just wants to keep her around like he he wanted the emperor to pick her so he's gonna do whatever he can to help her yeah I just feel like he could have helped her before she thought she was going to be executed, but maybe that's, maybe she needed to meet the emperor and maybe he just can't think on his feet as well as I can. (laughs) (laughs) That's entirely possible. Um, Okay, so the task that Lady Sarnai sets forth for Maya is she wants her to create three legendary dresses and it's kind of a cool story. Which I do love. Yeah. Yeah, I love legends. So the God of Thieves stole Amana's children the sun and the moon and the stars and she was furious and so she turned the world to darkness and then to make amends the god of thieves returned her children and made three Mm -hmm. dresses with parts of her children which is pretty creepy but one was woven with the laughter of the sun one was embroidered with the tears of the moon and one was painted with the blood of the stars so like he gave her children back and then gave her these like priceless dresses that were made of parts of them I know, but you're right. It's sort of like, here's your children back, but I like kept their tears and their whatever. In a box. Yeah. <laughs> and like, this is, this is like my one complaint with the book. This is where it got a little abstract for me. And 
I sometimes have a problem with that. Like, even the title of the book, like, Spin the Dawn, I don't know what that means. Like, that's just so ambiguous. Like, you can't spin the dawn. And, like, I'm, I'm not such an obtuse person that I can't, like, figure out that it's going to be a metaphor. But, like, even the second one is called, like, Unravel the Dust. I don't know. Part of me is just mm-hmm. not super into the ambiguity of this. Well, I think I appreciate that Maya also, like, doesn't fully believe in, like, mm-hmm. the magic, like, doesn't believe in some of this stuff. So I'm hoping as she comes around to it, it'll start to make sense to us. Because part of what Eden is talking about, there's this spider that lives in the middle of the desert, and its silk is like as bright as the sun so there might be as long as there's like real things and we're not actually like catching tears of the moon or whatever (laughs) I feel like it could start to make some more sense of it's just like these kind of crazy things that are like concrete things that are actually used that you could actually use to make dresses that's true because he wants her to find the spider for its silk and then I think there's other things too but he basically says like it's going to be really hard to make these dresses and everyone who's tried to recreate them has either disappeared or died but technically it is possible yeah and he's he's just so funny kind of he's like yeah you won't be able to do it without help (laughs) you'll probably need me I guess I'll go with you or like I don't just like he's sort of like nonchalant about it Mm -hmm. while also being like everyone dies it's impossible it's not quite impossible but it's basically one step less than impossible the only way it's possible is with knowledge like in my head but I can't tell you what that is (laughs) and I liked how he was like you know some say that Amana the god would grant a wish to anyone who could make the dresses who could recreate them but I liked Mm -hmm. that he also added just because you can make them doesn't mean you should so like Something's up with these dresses. Something's going to happen when she creates them. Why does Lady Sarnai want the dresses to be made in the first place? I don't know. I don't trust her. So I think she doesn't even want the dresses. I think she wanted to just make an impossible task to put off the wedding longer. Oh, okay. Yeah. But especially because she's not that into magic, I think that she just like picked a task that the emperor would technically agree to. That would be impossible but take a long time. Yeah, exactly. So it, or the person would die and everything would have to start over. Because I feel like she's just trying to delay, delay, delay. Right. And I think that's what she's done with all of her crazy requests, yeah. really. It's like, she doesn't actually want these shoes or like want the shawl or anything like that. She's just trying to draw it out, I think. But the other thing that Eden said, too, like after that, can they be made, they shouldn't be made part, was he said, those dresses have great power, power that is not meant to exist in the mortal world, but it's good you're reluctant. That just might keep you alive. Mm. So there's also something about her like not wanting to do it or like not seeking it out for her own gain. I think that's, I don't know, this idea, you know how we always have like, if you have good intentions sort of with magic in in these journeys sometimes. (laughs) So I'm curious to see, I'm curious to get more details about these dresses and what it really entails to make them and see more of this world on the journey. Like I'm pretty excited to get out of this summer palace. Well, and now we are because we're on a journey with Eden. He like says he'll go with her but for some reason he doesn't want to tell the king so he leaves without telling the emperor and then there's like rumors spreading that the emperor has taken ill and won't leave his room and Eden's like yeah just so you know like he might send men after me to capture me and bring me back but like let's keep going don't use my real name yeah Yeah. I know so like I can't wait to figure out what's going on there and again it's almost this I'm like if you're so powerful like I get maybe if he's 
sickly or like doesn't look as enchanting when you're not there to enchant people around him or something like I kind of think there's something like that going on but there's also this level of I sort of feel like because the emperor didn't explicitly say you are not allowed to leave it was like a wordplay Mm -hmm. thing almost where he was like I got permission for someone to go with you and I wasn't for he doesn't know it's me and let's just sneak out before he realizes (laughs) or I don't know there's just yeah there's like something else between this dynamic of the emperor and Eden that I don't get yet I know and we ran into Norbu again in the dungeons? Outside the dungeons when we were trying to negotiate for the leather or <gasps> oh, whatever, that's right, right. That's right? When we got to the desert, he didn't recognize her and doesn't remember she's a woman. How did he get out? Did he he escaped? So they think that he like knows powerful people and has money and probably bribes someone. Oh, oh, oh. Gotcha. That's right. But yeah. Okay. So Norbu's on the loose. So I'm curious, do you think he'll come back around again or do you think Absolutely. Yeah. Oh no, we're not done. We haven't seen the last of him. <laughs> He's too good at being evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's too ambitious. I really hope. I hope we see some of the other tailors too, because I really liked um, Long Guy. Yeah, I did too. He seemed like a genuinely good person. <laughs> and how is she going to make these dresses? Even if she gets the material, I feel like she's going to need. Well, I guess she has magic scissors, but I feel like she's going to need more than that. She needs some allies. I don't. Want, I don't like the magic scissors. I'm so like not into the magic scissors. I want her to do it herself. Yeah, I don't like that they just do it all for her. And how did her dad get them? It was her grandmother's. Right, but and like... He, and he said something like, they never worked for me. So that's another... I'm kind of curious. Are we going to find out more about her grandmother? Because also her grandmother was a woman, so she shouldn't have been a master tailor. She had like a history of women defying the odds in her family. We need a backstory for the scissors. <laughs> and we really only have a book and a half left, which is... I know, it's not enough. Kind of crazy, yeah. So thoughts so far in the book... Are we into it? Are we not into it? I am into it, but I'm not like absolutely in love with it, I think is what I'd say right now. Okay. What about you? I really like it. Good. I mean, there's parts that I, you know, I'm not super thrilled with, but overall I I really liked the first half and I wish that there was more time spent with the trials and that they were kind of like a little bit fleshed out more. Like I just wanted to see more of it, but I am excited about where we're going for sure. I'm really excited for the journey. I guess maybe if I watched the Runway show, what's it called again? Project Runway. Sorry, I forgot. Um, that shows you how much I'm into it. Maybe that would have made me more into the trials. I like was intrigued by it, kind of, but I'm like really excited for the journey. Like this is the part that I mean, it. I think a lot of the details could make it good or bad, but I'm hopeful that it is really good. Because I love Legends, and I like like that she's way outside her comfort zone, and I'm just kind of curious about a lot of the relationships that have started to be established and stuff, so. Um, I also did a little bit of reading about Elizabeth Lim, just because oh, yeah? I always like to read a little bit about the authors. Is this her only books, or does no. she have other stuff? Okay. So she also wrote, so this is Love and Reflection, and then she has another YA series called six crimson cranes coming out next year or maybe it's a standalone but um she has another book coming out next year which i would totally read i think the thing that i most liked about her was she has a doctorate in music composition and she was a video game composer which sounds like such a fun job and like i love listening to video game soundtracks like when i work just because i like it it's instrumental and there's just so many beautiful beautiful soundtracks out there to video games and it's like so calming to work with with that in the background i didn't know that about you oh yeah final fantasy is my favorite it's so pretty um i need to check some out (laughs) i just i love that she 
I don't know which video game she uh, worked on, but just the fact that she composed music for them, I was like, oh, that's a really awesome job, and I would probably really like your work. <laughs> um, I looked... Well, I looked a little bit into, so I, I know the legend of Mulan, and I'm using air quotes because by that I mean I've seen the Disney animated Mulan film. Have you seen the live action version yet? No, because I haven't either. A, I know there's a lot of controversy around it, but really the reason I haven't. I don't want to pay $20 for it. Yes. I don't know if I'd pay that much for any movie. So I was kind of curious about like how accurate is Disney, because as we know from our fairy tale research and whatnot, usually Disney tells an interesting story that's very, very loosely based on the original. Hmm. So do you know much about Mulan beforehand? No. Okay. So there are a lot of differences between Mulan, Disney, and the legend of Hua Mulan, which is the medieval Chinese legend. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I thought was really interesting, like a lot of the original fairy tales we have heard about, there's actually like a million versions of it that have been shared over the years. So the earliest recorded version, Poem of Mulan, was written sometime between 386 and 533 AD. Oh, wow. And that one is like really short. <laughs> I remember someone saying that they were like very brief legends. There wasn't like a whole lot of substance to them. Yeah, it basically is like Mulan was weaving and she got bored. So she went to war in place of her father and did really well and came home and then started weaving again. It was like pretty short and like simple. But there are wow. people have since expanded and flushed out the story in a number of different ways. But I was reading a lot about this play which has the very interesting title the female mulan joins the army in place of her father (laughs) (laughs) that was uh composed during the late ming dynasty so that's like 1368 to 1644 and kind of re-kicked off the legend of mulan for like this new generation so even though it was like i don't know 900 years after the first one it sort of it it had more substance and it like kind of re-kicked it off so Hmm. Some of the things that were different, first of all, instead of the Huns, there is a bandit named Leopard Skin. Ooh, it's a good name for a bandit. And he he wasn't like an external attacking group who the emperor was defending against. He was a rebel within China. Oh. So instead of like, he was just like a slightly more sympathetic character. He had other problems with the emperor and like mm. other people around him had problems with the emperor and they started a rebellion. So also in the Disney, at least the animated movie, in Disney she like is trying to get married, you know, and she's like kind of letting her family down and all this stuff and she's she's never experienced with a sword or anything. In the play, she is already like sword fighting archery, like good at all of that she is strong and she's smart and she just like happened to pick up these skills from her dad when she was little so it like made more sense for her to go in her dad's place kind of in like in this book where she's actually like yeah I could totally do this right as opposed to in the movie she kind of like is trying to protect her dad but she shows up and she like can't do anything at the army camp or whatever right (laughs) (laughs) and again a little bit more like the book she in the in the play she does have to she talks to her family and gets their blessing so she unbinds her feet which is also an interesting thing to think about she like notes that after the war she wants to get a husband she'll have to rebind her feet and she like double checks that she still remembers how to use her sword and then she goes how do you rebind your feet i don't know that part i didn't fully understand but that's not how that works so i clearly a man wrote this 
I think the whole point of the story, it's not even, like, I sort of feel like the Disney version is a little bit like, girls can do stuff too, and, like, you don't have to fit into stereotypes. Again, it, as that quick summary said, she, like, comes back to weave at the end of it. It's sort of like, do your duty, be loyal to your family, and then... Go back to living your boring life. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> but she does go and, like, talk to her family, and her mom, I guess, is, like, really concerned about just the fact that she'll be sleeping next to all of these warrior men and she might not return a a virgin so she Mm -hmm. like reassures her mom that she's gonna keep her virtue and then they let her go my goodness because that's the most important thing really right yeah not that i'm going off to war and i might die but god forbid i had sex along the way right yeah anyway (laughs) and rant and it's actually kind of interesting people didn't really seem to care about her being a woman Mm -hmm. like she did still disguise herself but there was less of a whole thing in here about like you can't do it because you're a woman Mm. so in the play and in the poem she's gone for 12 years whoa and the play there's only one battle so it's kind of like i don't know what took 12 years what's she doing (laughs) (laughs) maybe she got lost i don't know i hope she's having sex (laughs) (laughs) and there is no love interest in the play so she ultimately does come back home and her family has been busy arranging her marriage to the neighbor's oh son. Oh, my God. And she, like, happily goes back to that life. And she comes back with some of her soldier friends, and she just, like, walks into the house and, I guess, like, does her hair and puts powder on her face. And then they come in and they're like, oh, you're a woman. Hmm. <laughs> okay. There's so much to unpack there. <laughs> it just it was just kind of interesting. Yeah. So it was called out that, like, the play... I mean, it's from medieval China time period. Um, And there were obviously some gender issue things going on. Like there was the reference to the foot binding and stuff like that. But the Chinese army was like cool with her being a woman. Like she didn't reveal it earlier. But when the soldiers found out, it wasn't like a big deal. They were like, I can't believe you lied to us. Or like, now we're going to kill you. It was just like, oh, you're, you're a woman. And then they leave and go home. And it sounds like they were cool with it as long as she like stayed within the confines or like. As long as she obeyed the rules that have been set out for her. Like, True. As long as you go back home and you rebind your feet and you get married, then we're okay with it. That's a good point. Because in the play, that's like what she wants to do. So it's never even a question, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I don't know that they would have been so willing if she was like, cool, thanks for my like medal. I'm going to keep fighting. By the way, I'm tired of having my hair cut right, short. Right. I'm a woman. I'm going to wear it long or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I know that's that's more to it than that, but right, um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so I just thought some of those things were kind of interesting, and there are more differences. And again, there's multiple versions yeah. of the Mulan story, so not all of those things I said are necessarily true. Although, again, traditionally she does leave and come back to like taking on a traditional woman's role, and in most of them, she's gone for twelve years. So I thought both those things were interesting. I'm glad that she had a longer time. Like, I'm glad that it was 12 years and not, like, 12 months where she was able to live a more free lifestyle. Oh, this is another thing. So in the Disney movie, there's that scene where she's, like, bathing and Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, she's a woman. Oh, no, what's going to happen? I'm king of the rock. (laughs) I guess the only thing (laughs) in the play that's, like, an issue is she goes to the bathroom by herself and people think she's weird for it but like other than that there's no like weird bathing scene or anything wait so like men would have like little pee parties where they go off in groups to do their business or maybe it was just like i mean i don't know what medieval china was like but i feel like in some older societies they'd have like a trough or or even now we have like urinals (laughs) right that are just like open you know so but i don't think guys like are like hey let's all go pee together no but there's probably certain times where there's crowds in the bathroom I don't know. I don't know exactly. But yeah, they were like, oh, it's weird that she only pees by herself. (laughs) 
That's that's my other fun fact for you. Oh, and there's no like uh, elements of like magic or you know like her little dragon ancestor friend. Like that's not in the play at all. I wouldn't. Yeah, that was like a Disney thing trying to bring in some other stuff. She has siblings mm. in the play. Oh, I like that she has siblings. Yeah, in one version she, she has two younger siblings, a, a sister and a brother. And in a different version I read, she had an older sister and a younger brother, which I thought was interesting. Why didn't the older sister go? But whatever. Yeah. Very cool. And like, she doesn't get singled out the same way. So like the soldiers or like the group she's with, the emperor's like, great job, you guys. But in the movie, it's sort of like Mulan's specifically saved the day. It was more of a communal thing in the play. So she's like part of a group okay. that did well. I should... I could have read the poem in the amount of time it took me to research the rest of it, but that was kind of interesting. Now I kind of want to watch the live action version. I'm curious. I should have looked up just to even see what, because I know things have changed in the live action, but I'm not sure which aspects Mm -hmm. and if any of them are more accurate to the traditional story or if they're just different for Hollywood reasons or whatever. I think there's no love interest. Wait, I think I heard something about that too, but the issue was because he was her superior in the army and and there was like an issue with that. So they took it out. Oh. Huh. I mean, I was just mad that they took out the Be a Man, Donny Osmond song. Oh, wait. I just saw in this one article that I had up, the live action remake did include her sister and named her Hua Zhu. I probably pronounced that wrong, but she did have a sister in the live action, I guess. All right. Maybe we'll have to watch it. Um, so I researched interesting fabrics because I was like very into the project Ooh. runway aspect of this book, obviously. So mm-hmm. at first I was trying to find like interesting materials that clothes are made out of. Um, and I at first started with animals because I was really into like the falcon feathers being incorporated. But that got really sad real fast. <laughs> so I instead found this article. It's on heartsleevesblog.com and it's... 12 strange but eco-friendly materials that people are designing clothes with. Okay. So the first one is Inigo. What is that? Um, And it's made from corn. Okay. So it's kind of like polyester, but it is a natural fabric. It's color fast, wrinkle free, drapeable, hypoallergenic, stain resistant, and wicks away moisture. Wow. Quite the sales pitch. Yeah, I know. It's made by fermenting sugar extracted from corn and then turned into pellets that are then converted into fabric. And then if you're done, whenever you're done wearing it or using it, you can throw it on a compost pile and it will decompose in 60 to 90 days. Okay, I'm buying it. What else? Um, The second one is uh, cupro, which is a byproduct of cotton. So it's actually made from the silky fibers that stick to cotton seeds during the textile production process. And usually that's thrown away, but somebody figured out how to actually use it. And it actually creates um, a thread that is very silk-like. And it's machine washable. So it's really dyes easily too and the fact that it's like a byproduct of cotton means that like there's a lot less waste when you are making cotton products because you're using like the whole plant that makes sense yeah and it 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 dyes really easily so it requires less dye and then it's also hyperallergenic anti-static and stress resistant and breathable but it's also like silky Ooh, i try that This is really cool. Okay, so the next one is tilapia leather. Okay. So Manolo Blahnik right now is using fish leather detailing in a new line of their shoes, and it's made from sustainable tilapia skin, and it's like a byproduct of the food industry that they're using, you know, when people harvest 
tilapia and so it's like a material that would otherwise be discarded but apparently it's really beautiful and you can blend it with other materials and you can make belts and bracelets and wallets and lots of other things shoes it's kind of like a different leather it's so cool i like have never really thought much about like oh i should turn this into cloth i know well it's it's like super good that people are just trying to use like every part yeah no that's awesome yeah Yeah. instead of throwing stuff away let's make something um okay so a german fashion designer slash microbiologist invented a new textile made of sour milk Ooh, i don't know about that one (laughs) yeah so she takes milk that has gone bad and then she um, mixes it up and creates strings that are woven together to make a fabric she calls q milch does it smell like spoiled milk I hope not. (laughs) I hope not, too. The Q stands for quality, and milch is the German word for milk. But it's pretty interesting because it is the first man-made fiber produced entirely without chemicals. Huh. That's crazy. And it's, like, basically it's, like, milk that has gone bad, so it's, like, recycling a waste product. And they say six liters of milk makes enough fabric for an entire dress. That still seems like a lot of... Like, how do you do that in a mass way? You don't, right? I don't know. I think maybe you could But then it's sort of like if you're spoiling milk, then you're not, or I don't know. Yeah, then you're not really using, it's it's like purposely using milk to spoil it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what's cool is they said that the amino acids and the proteins of the milk are antibacterial and can help regulate blood circulation and body temperature. Whoa. Okay, there's another fashion designer who is making fabric out of cassette tapes. Interesting. So it's called Sonic Fabric, and it's made from 50% polyester and 50% audio cassette tape. (laughs) So she started out making prayer flags and boat sails, but now you can buy hats, neckties, purses. Can you, like, bring her your audio tapes and be like, can you turn my favorite old recordings into a hat? Um, I think... I don't know if you can do that, but sounds that have been recorded on the tape can be picked up. Whoa. There's like a player that picks up five strands of tape at once, so when the sonic fabric is played on it, it sounds like really garbled and strange, but you can still hear it, which is like super interesting. And she's designed recordings Hmm. uh, for musicians from her fabric. It's made in a family-run textile mill in New England. People are just so creative. I love it. I mean, it's, it's so, so, so cool. So the other one that I thought was cool was spider silk. Uh, so spider mm-hmm. silk is definitely a little controversial, but uh, spider silk is super strong and it's really durable and it's very light. So it's like really actually pretty ideal for textiles. Do you have to have certain kinds of spiders, I'm guessing? Well, here's the problem with spider silk. I guess only female orb spiders produce silk and... The issue is they tend to be cannibalistic. So uh, spider farms can be quite the challenge because the spiders will often just eat each other. Oh my goodness. But there were these people who created a giant scarf that was produced over four years using one million golden orb spiders in Madagascar. And One million? Yeah. So Simon Piers and Nicholas Godley were the creators and they hired villagers to go through the forests and find Mm. spiders. And then they placed the spiders in little tiny harnesses and had essentially female spider handlers who would extract their silk. And then when they were done for the day, all the spiders were released back into the wild. So they would like capture them, harness them, 
make them do a day's work and then release them back into the wild. That is fascinating. Yeah. So they were basically trying to do it in like the nicest way possible to the animals. But the issue was like they were only able to make one scarf in four years and it cost half a million dollars. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So it's definitely not um, like a mass production kind of thing. But it could, maybe it could be, I don't know. That is crazy to think about. And do they just like, like, is that what they make their webs out of? Are there, are there risks with these spiders? Like, are they poisonous or anything? No, I think they're just, they're very unsociable and they like to eat each other and. (laughs) They're risks to each other, but not to humans. So like there are researchers in Japan who are trying to modify the DNA of spiders so that they are not eating each other and then like to increase their silk production. Oh man, I'm gonna we're gonna see a new Jurassic Park in five years where mm. spiders have taken over the world because they need to eat each other to control the population or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, murder hornets came out, so <laughs> James hates spiders. That's like the one thing he really has a big problem with spiders to the point where I wanted to get spiders to decorate for Halloween, like the big. Have you seen the like big ones on people's yeah. houses and stuff? He was like, "No, we he can't said do no. that." Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of hilarious. I think it's funny. <laughs> well, yeah, we definitely don't need genetically modified spiders then running around. I say no to that idea. I mean, it's interesting, but it's just, it freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I can just see it ending very badly. Um, that's cool. So what? Yeah. which of these materials would you first buy something made out of? I'm going to go with the spoiled milk. Okay, I'll let you buy that and tell me how it <laughs> smells, and then I'll consider <laughs> I think that sounds so cool. I mean, it's... I bet it would feel so good on your skin, though, don't you think? That's true. I just, like... I'm into it. When I think spoiled milk, I think of the smell, and I... I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. Typically, I have a pretty bad sense of smell, so maybe it wouldn't bother me, but it would 100% bother James. He has a very good sense of smell. Oh, you're not wearing your milk shirt, are you? (laughs) (sighs) So, okay, I guess we have to... We're going to finish the rest of this book for next week, then. Yep. And then we'll be halfway through the series already, which is crazy. I know. But I can't wait. I'm I'm really into this book, and I like the characters, and I like the world, and I can't wait to learn about this Enchanter guy and see if he's up to no good. What do you think? Do you think we'll have the dresses by the end of this book, and then the next book will be something else? Or do you think we'll still be like on our journey? Maybe we'll have one or two of the materials or something. Um, well, since this one's called Spin the Dawn and the next one's called Unravel the Dusk, I feel like we're going to create the dresses in this book and then in the next book we're going to destroy them because something bad happens. Ooh, I like that. Spin, un- unravel. I'm, I'm into that. That's my prediction. We'll see. We'll see. This would be cool. I wish there were like, I don't know, a graphic novel or like just to see some of these pieces because they sound so beautiful this would make a good graphic novel yeah that's a really good point maybe one day maybe (laughs) down the down the road we'll see that what else do we do at the end of a half book i know we haven't (laughs) recorded for so long joke oh yeah yeah it's my turn to tell a joke i think okay yes please do i haven't heard one in so long okay Okay, this is kind of um in honor of halloween i love when you laugh a little bit before what kind of what kind of noise does a witch's vehicle make Sweep, sweep. Broom, broom. <laughs> I got really into that. Uh, that was good. James will like that one. He li- he likes his cars and stuff. So. That's pretty good. I'm going to tell my cousin that one when I see him next. Okay. All right. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. 
We're also on Facebook and Instagram at MNK Talk YA. Not Twitter. I almost said Twitter. I don't know why. Oh God, no. Nope. Never. We don't know. We don't. We don't do the Twitter. We don't know how to do that. And it's too late to start now. <laughs> on that note, bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.